Welcome back to the Dear Katie Survivor Stories podcast. This is Katie Kessner, your host. After being sexually assaulted myself at age 18 during the first part of my college career, I appeared on the cover of Time magazine and as a subject of an HBO movie. I've since dedicated my life, my story, and all my work to ending sexual violence and supporting survivors. So all of us know, I think, sexual violence is indeed a global problem. The problem with that is that any particular one of us may have varying resources and varying laws to support us as survivors. And it all depends on the culture, where we live, how we grow up, perhaps our access to resources, uh, including money. And our episode today is fantastic. Martha Uke shares her story of growing up and being born and raised in Venezuela. She resides now in the United States with her husband. She's an architect and an artist, but she starts out talking about intergenerational trauma and how it impacted her family. And she uses her artistic gifts and heals from that trauma. So let's listen in. Welcome to the Dear Katie podcast. This is Katie Kessner. And this is Claire Kaplan. Before we get started, I want to remind our listeners that sometimes the discussions in the podcast can be difficult to hear, especially for survivors of trauma. So we encourage all of you to care for your safety and your well-being. Reach out for emotional support from family, friends, a counselor if you have one, or a hotline. Additional resources may be found on the Take Back the Night Foundation website, and we'll share that address with you at the end of the podcast. Thanks so much, Claire. And we are so delighted and excited to have with us Martha Luke. Um, Uke, I think I said it better that second time. But Martha, I know you're a leader, a visionary. Could you share a little bit of your bio with our listeners? Absolutely. And first of all, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate this opportunity. And to everyone listening, my name is Marta Juk. I'm originally from Venezuela, and I'm an architect, a creative, and the artist behind the creative project, The Little Raging Warrior. And what is that project, Little Raging Warrior? Um, the mission of, of The Little Raging Warrior is sharing the knowledge that we're all creative and that we all have access to that within us. And art is one of the ways that we can use that creativity to heal. And Martha, is that, um, that sounds wonderful, but I'm curious for our listeners um, who are especially survivors, have you geared anything in your work towards survivors or is it accessible to any marginalized person? My main focus is healing trauma, and it's trauma overall, not only from sexual violence. So it is accessible to everybody in the sense that my focus is sharing the healing process. And um, I don't often share the story in detail, uh, but more about like how creativity and my approach has helped me figure out different things supporting my my own healing journey with my therapist and and all different um healing modalities that I've tried. Thank you Martha. And you know what struck me in the sentence you just said is you said the instead of my. 
the choice that you made was really interesting to me, you know, because you are someone who has probably a my, a personal pronoun, and also has tried to relate to the universal healing process. So when you chose very carefully that word, um, what did that mean to you? It's a beautiful question. Um, What it means to me is that even though I may identify as a woman, uh, I'm first, I feel first a human. And to be honest, we all carry some sort of trauma and we, we are all allowed to heal. And I think trying to make this as universal as possible beyond whatever uh, denominations we have for ourselves, I think that is my main purpose. Um, and so, you know, when our listeners are listening, many of us have sat through and love where you're going, Martha. Many of us have, have sat through a lot of types of trauma. Like we're so poor, we wonder if we where we can sleep at night. We have no idea if someone will beat us to a pulp at school the next day. We have no idea if we can ever attain something better than a high school or even a middle school degree. Trauma, to me, has become a large landscape. How large is the landscape you are serving with your work? So speaking a little bit from my own personal experience and what I've learned through my journey is that personally, I've not only experienced sexual trauma, I've experienced developmental trauma throughout because throughout my childhood, I was unfortunately in a very dysfunctional environment, um, a lot of emotional abuse, verbal abuse, um, and also cultural, religious in, in different ways that just pile up into the original experience, which has made me believe that or realize that the impact that trauma has goes beyond the type of trauma that you get. And, and it really connects more to how we ex- end up experiencing the world because of the trauma we've been through. So there is an individual part of the experience, but there is also an, a universal truth behind the journey of healing and going through trauma. And I love that part, Martha. And I, I just have one more question before I turn it to Claire. When I, I also thought of something tonight I had not thought with our listeners. You said it was piling up. And I kind of like the digging in really, Martha. We all are piling up tra- trauma. We may not know how to rank it or how to parse it out or how it impedes our nightmares, our thoughts, our ability to navigate life. But I also think that I do just, I want to sit with piling up. And I, we've never talked about that before with our listeners, Martha. And I love that idea of piling up. Like I kind of, I'm, I'm not doing laundry because, you know, I'm, I'm doing like housework, piling up is homework, it's life work. And how do we decide what to do first, second, first, and like the things that are most indelibly imprinted and 
powerful in our brain are probably the thing we either don't know how to amend or append, or they sit with us so painfully. So let's, I just, I'm using upon the word choice you used. I loved it. And so before Claire digs in deeper, my first question is piling up. I love it. And we still don't know your first pile up. Was it the sexual abuse, the sexual assault? What was the first pile? Yeah. So the first, I would say the first trauma that I experienced that I remember or that I have worked through was sexual abuse. Um, I was a child. I was four years old and I was sexually abused by a family member. Someone in your house? Yeah. Someone, a family member, your parents, your uncle, your aunt, your sister, your brother? A cousin. A cousin who came regularly or lived there with you? Um, I would typically stay at my grandmother's house. At that point, my parents were working, uh, both of them. So I would stay in the afternoons at my grandmother's house and he would live in the house next door. So next door and he would come over because why? Well, the houses were connected. So yeah, so like, and, and I was a kid, like I was looking to play with my cousins. Um, but I was the youngest. I you said four. You, you said four and he was. Yeah. I, I, I actually didn't remember his age until at some point we had the conversation with my parents. I, I com- kind of confronted them about it. And, um, they told me how old he was. He was either 12 or 13, which for their eyes or everybody's eyes, he was also a kid, but to you know, that, which is a nuance that I have had really hard to work on because, you know, everybody thinks like, well, but they're children, unless their children play. And it's, it's not that. <laughs> and all. it's so easy for adults to dismiss the sort of thing is like, oh, that's just sort of show me yours. I'll show you mine sort of stuff when it's really not that at all. And so Perfect. often that can be overlooked. Correct. And, and as an adult, and then looking back in, in family history, is also understanding the environment. That environment was also very toxic. There was a lot of um, emotional abuse in the house. Uh, also trauma from war. My grandparents escaped the war. Um, but there is a signature behavior in my cousin that n- definitely was learned. It was not show me yours, I'll show you mine. There was grooming involved. There was secrecy. There was all these different things that unfortunately my own conclusion is that he must have had experience it himself or somebody taught him uh, because that's not a normal behavior for a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old. And the other thing that I, I learned afterwards is he had a lot of rage issues, like serious rage issues um, and behavioral issues at school, which kind of fit the profile of like either being abused or being in a very toxic environment as well. And just just a little point of information. You said your grandparents fled the war. Was it World War II or was it the Spanish? The Civil uh, War. The Civil the War. Civil war. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So if I could ask, so you have, so you spent a lot of time at your grandma, grandmother's house and your cousin was there. Um, when did you become aware of the fact that a this was abuse and B, you were in a toxic environment. When did you sort of become aware of all that? So it happened 
partially, like not partially, like gradually. Um, like as I grew up, I would say late teens, like 18, 19, early 20s, I started realizing that something had happened that was not right. I could not verbalize it. And, um, but I knew something was off. Um, and then the toxic, like realizing the toxic environment, realizing the, gen which th it's another thing that talk about piling up generational trauma from both sides of my family, like either poverty or war or scarcity or many different things, different forms of abuse. Um, this is as I entered my thirties and I had to confront the fact that I was sexually abused and, um, that this was creating, or this was probably a lot of the source of my own mental health issues and my physical health issues. And um, I got to the point that I, I had to make a choice of do I heal or do I just live miserably for the rest of my life? But I, I'd like to think for our listeners, the catalyst that you just had, you just articulated a poignant moment of change in your understanding of where you were. And there had to be some things that you attained or achieved or noted or learned. What, if you think back, what were the things that, you know, you know, it, I, I, I would say one more thing, Martha, you're also articulating not just an ownership of, I identify this as abuse, but most of our survivors, Martha, say, I blamed myself. They could say this was wrong, but they also say it's also my fault. I wanted to dig in on both of those concepts because that's kind of where we left off with you is you landed on it's not my fault, but also more importantly, I'm willing to name it. So, I think it was an evolution at the, I, I don't think I generally saw it as blaming myself, but something that was related to myself, that kind of trigger, um, especially like when I, when I realized that something had happened when, in my childhood, I realized that there kind of happened a split within the family. So if I blame myself for anything, it was, I didn't have the vocabulary or the understanding to know it was sexual abuse. I blame myself for splitting the family for something I didn't know I, I had done. Um, but, but, but wait, I'm, I'm totally barging in. Martha, that's great, but let's give voice to one thing. You said, I don't blame myself, but here's where a lot of people sit. They say, I wanted to name what happened to me by this man this guy in college and I knew if I announced it, said it, named it, my family would also break apart and all this other cataclysmic ramification would happen. And you're doing that at a much younger age. Think about the causes and ramifications. Were you thinking about that, especially yeah. for survivors of child yeah. sexual abuse? They often fear that somehow the family will fall apart. 
um, because they've been told by the perpetrator that something, you know, there'll be some terrible consequence for telling. And, and did you wonder if that was going to happen? And did you worry about what was going to happen to him and, or, (laughs) you know, yeah, all those all things. All of it. I all guess. of it. We need to parse it out, Claire. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. We, so, we're labeling a lot with you. No, and it's and it's interesting because, um, to be honest, there was, I was so young that the the belief that stuck with me was there is something wrong with me that I need to fix, and and that is something that stayed with me forever until I addressed it in my mid twenties, uh, when I started going back to therapy, but it was never because the family had already split by the time I became aware of something that had happened, which was the sexual abuse. I thought I was responsible for that split. Like the way, and, and maybe that's worth clarifying. I didn't come out and say it was happening the way it came out is my mom was giving me a bath and she noticed that I was really irritated in my genitals. And she started asking questions. And then I just simply started telling like, well, my cousin is doing this or that. And that's what unraveled the whole thing. And that's why the family ended up splitting. But again, I was, I was four year old, four years old. So I remember certain things about that specific day, but outside of like my parents freaking out, I don't remember much. Um, so, but I did notice this huge split. Like I did not go back to my grandmother's house. There was years until I saw my, my cousin again, or, or there was a family gathering, like probably 10, 15 years. So the thought that stayed with me is that I did something wrong. Like there is something wrong with me that created that split. May I just, with, um, sorry, Martha, I'm, I'm actually sitting in the bathtub with you and your mom and you being that young for our listeners. If someone, I, I always think about the shame and how we feel when someone calls us out and how did that conversation go? You know, to, if you could remember a little bit more and think about, you know, what, what it was for you, but also what you, you would tell others about that moment in your life. It's very powerful. To be honest, I don't think I've ever told this story to anybody. <laughs> I think this is the first time I ever tell it. It's good. And I, I, I think when we first identify abuse and can reflect upon it as an adult, it's so powerful, Martha. It is. Um, and because I I have felt shame and it's something that I still work through. And interesting enough for me, the shame has been is in this feeling of brokenness, of needing to fix this thing. Um, later on, well, because the reason how I became to understand that I was sexually abused was um, in my early 30s, I got a, a, a diagnosis for precancer, um, cervical precancer. And the treatment for that is very invasive. And um, this is a side note. We don't have enough trauma-informed healthcare 
practitioners ever. So I was never asked if I was a victim of sexual abuse, if I had experienced anything. So I just went through the motions of the treatment and it's so invasive. And that started triggering all the flashbacks. Uh, Monica, we both sit with you. I'm sure Claire and I, we're just like rolling in pain with you. So, so I was in my mid thirties. I start having all these flashbacks and as I start understanding the flashbacks, I realized that I have been sexually abused. And um, that's, it, it got so bad that I decided to look for a therapist that would be um, specifically informed, like trauma informed and would work with victims of, se- of sexual abuse um, so I could work through this. Uh, because I, it was it was becoming like, I was incapable of going through my day without a flashback. So if I can ask now, um, at what point were you in your life, which you were living while all this was going on? So you were, you had, I assume, graduated from college at this point and you, you were now an architect or you're. Yeah. So yeah, kind of like filling in the blanks. So I, going back a little bit. So this happens at age four. I don't become aware of it at all. Um, like not in, in, in a general sense of it. I hit, I hit the teens. So I, I'm 13. I, I, uh, yeah, start, you know, going through puberty and whatnot and I get depressed. Um, and I don't know why, but I have this depression. The mental health is not a subject that would be hot a hot topic back then in the 90s uh, back home. So I didn't get diagnosed with depression up until I was 19, which I had started college. I had like my first serious relationship and that kind of triggered this like depressive cycle that I didn't know what it was. Um, I just felt really depressed. I had anxiety disorder. And even though I never got diagnosed with an eating disorder, I definitely stopped eating. And I lost like, what would be the equivalent of, of that uh, 14 pounds? And I'm already very petite. Um, so there was all these health issues that started, you know, unraveling. And um, I started going to therapy and, and I was medicated for many years, but it really didn't help much just kind of like help me keep going but not healing like there was no actual healing happening so uh when i graduated college i moved abroad so i lived i lived for three years um three and a half years in in germany and i was by myself so being by myself away from home on one side allowed me to see the world in a different way and meet other kinds of families and other types of interactions that i didn't know were possible in a healthier way. So that gave me a a new point of reference, but also living by myself, um, very high stress job. Um, Architecture can be really stressful. So that triggered another depressive cycle. And uh, it got so bad that I had a full nervous breakdown um, and I had to go back home. So uh, this is at the age of 25. And I decide that I like, okay, I, I need to see what's happening. Like, regardless, even if people like, I, I didn't have much family support, they, they would help me go to therapy, but that was it. Like, there was no conversation about it, no checking in. Um, and that's when I, I made the initial decision of like, okay, what's happening? 
And um, that's when I started up through my own curiosity, start looking for different ways of understanding what was happening with me, gaining vocabulary. But it wasn't until I, I hit my early 30s that I went to this specific therapist that she told me that I had PTSD. Like that was never diagnosed. Yeah. The, the moment I realized I had gone through sexual abuse, um, I started therapy again to address the flashbacks. And as I work through the therapy, which was a combination of EMDR, art therapy, and body movement therapy, I realized there was a, a piling up of different traumas that came with um, realizing that I come from both sides of the family, a lot of generational trauma that they have not healed, war trauma, poverty, emotional abuse, sexual abuse as well, um, that I started peeling that onion and it got me to the point uh, while I was in therapy, and this is where my architect uh, background comes in, I am in the office and it's like really the life-changing moment. Um, I'm in the office working through this really interesting project that I am designing and it's very challenging. And all of a sudden I realized that through every challenge, I've been able to lead with my team, find different solutions to move on. And the light bulb went on. And I realized like, what happens? if I start seeing my own health and my own process as a design challenge, I am my own client and the most important client. Like, what can I do from what I've learned in my background as a designer that I can apply into my journey, into my healing journey? And this is where, as I am sitting in therapy, I realize that I literally been addressing my own healing in the way that I've been trained as an architect, which is understand your context. Like, where do I come from? Who's my family? Like, where do I grow up? What, what time was it? Um, what are the resources that I have available or don't have available? Who is my support system? Where do I want to go? What is the final or the end goal? And then the creativity part, which is what really, really um, opened up this whole passion that I didn't know I had, is how do I get from A to B? Like once I know these things, how do I get from A to B? And that opened the door for me to not just look into therapy, but to look into all different modalities to express myself and express what I was going through even though I may have not had the words, but I had a lot of images or feelings or even like, you know, you feel like textures, poses in yoga, like different things that I realized that I could use as a reference point or as a tool to express myself. And once I realized that, I, it became clear to me that regard, like, Regardless of, of what happens around you, there are some resources that we all have within that we can use for our own healing that can help us learn to navigate this life better. And that's where the little raging warrior comes in. It's, it's opening a space where I can share 
the tools, the mediums, the the images that I've I've worked through, um, to hope give insight to others in their own healing journey. First, I have to ask, what a great name for the project. I love the little raging warrior. And I have all these images in my mind. You know? So how did you come up with that name? So it, that that's, a, and, and it's kind of my favorite, my favorite question, because when I was doing EMDR, is, um, which is eye movement, disintegration, free processing it's to process memories right um and the memories starting the way i was processing them was characters were starting to pop up in my head to help me move through the emotion that i had to go through and the three initial characters that show up um no sorry four was first the little girl who obviously was me when i was four then it was this big bulky guy whom I called the rage who would help me, you know, protect me, you know, punch everything that I needed to go through or whatever. Then there was the samurai warrior because I'm obsessed with samurais and dragons and whatnot, um, who would be kind of like the courage part, like the, the one that would slay the dragon literally in my head. And, um, between those three characters, I started resolving and processing all the memories that were coming up and all the feelings that were coming up. So a way that I, I figure out to put them together to name the project was the little, as a little girl, raging from the rage and the warrior because, you know, the warrior. So that's how it came to be. <laughs> and so you, this is something that you are have that you've developed to share with others. How do you do that? How do how, how do you share it with others? So the the way it came out, like through therapy, all these images starting to come in. So I started putting on paper with all these different characters, and the way I figure out that it could be a medium to share my story was um, there is a format that happens every year in, in social media. It's called the 100-Day Project, which long and short is if you want to learn an, a creative skill, you do it for 100 days and every day you post it on social media and you see your evolution and it's you, you can find wonderful stuff with that hashtag. So I decided to use that as a reference again, you know, my architect side um, and call it the 100 Days of Healing. So I organized the evolution of all the imagery that I had created and all the different things that I have done, writing, painting, model making, like all the different things with my yoga practice that I had already started developing a few years earlier and created this 100-day project that of storytelling, of, of sharing my story, my different insights through art, through yoga, through photography. And uh, for 100 days, I published that. And ever since, I just continued to share the different, because I, that's, that's the way I navigate life now. Like, I continue to create images to process the world around me. So as I come up with new ideas or new images or new pieces, I, I share them online with the insights that come through them. Fascinating. And where can people see this? Uh, you can find it either on my website, The Little Raging Warrior, or on Instagram, 
with the same handle name. Tonight has been another Dear Katie podcast. Martha's journey, story, and survivorship has been unparalleled and gives so many access points for how we can heal. Thank you, Martha. It was wonderful to meet you and to um, hear your journey. And um, as an artist myself, I love hearing about how people use the creative arts to to heal from trauma. And the more we learn about that and the more opportunities people have, I think the better. I want to also thank all of our listeners who joined us for this episode. Uh, if you need support but don't know where to find it, visit takebackthenight.org for a list of resources and how to reach our legal support hotline. You can also help other survivors by subscribing to the podcast and sharing it far and wide. Please consider posting it on your social media and make sure to follow us on ours. So Dear Katie is completely produced by an amazing group of volunteers. So thank you to all of them and thank you listeners for being present today. And thank you, Martha, for joining us. Always remember, self-care is essential to healing and to thriving. Bye.